there's a long gospel, it should be a short homily. I know. I can't promise you anything, though. I apologize in advance. This past week, I was in Newport, excuse me, this past two weeks, I was in Newport, Rhode Island doing some Navy training. So it was, it was very, very brutal. You know, lobster usually, you know, every other night, hotel rooms, just running on the, on the seashore. It was absolutely terrible. And the worst part it was all on the U.S. government's dime. So thank you for paying your taxes. I appreciate that. <laughs> but what happened while I was in Newport enjoying, you know, the, the, the great and glorious life of being a naval officer is uh, a couple of mass shootings happened. A couple of mass murders. This happened last weekend. We have all heard them. And it's quite something that seems to, yet again, have rocked the country. It seems to have been, a lot of people are hurt by this. The fact that our own kind of brothers, in this sense, can betray us like this. And it's led to a lot of debate, a lot of of rhetoric, and, and kind of a lot of fighting. And I felt moved by the Spirit in meditating on these readings to just say a little something about, about this, this issue. What I want to do is just not, because I'm not a, a psychologist or a sociologist, I, I want to just talk about more what, what's kind of feeding into this based off of our readings. In doing research for this homily, I ran across a New York Post article written by Maureen Callahan. And the article was titled, Why Are Young American Men So Angry? And she was talking about, about this, this, these incidents, these mass shooters, and this is what she says. From those mass shooters who have attacked the innocent before, before, we know it's a specific strain of anger, deep, repressed, biblically vengeful, felt most commonly by young men, almost always white, who report feeling alienated, dispossessed, misunderstood, victimized, and all too often rejected by women. The New York Times also goes on to kind of ratify this idea and basically says that even though we don't fully understand what leads to a mass shooting, it's not necessarily just mental illness or just the availability of guns. What it does, what they do say is that every single, almost every single mass shooter is a man. That whenever we look at the problem mass murder, we're looking at a problem and a crisis of masculinity, of men in general. And so because of that, looking at these readings and looking at this crisis, I want to preach a little bit about on what men need to develop a healthy masculinity. A masculinity where men are tough, men are strong, men, men have resilience to where if something does, bad does happen to them, they don't fall into, into kind of this, this dark place which can lead to, to, to what we've been seeing over the past few weeks. And although this is an exhaustive list, I believe there's three things that really feed into a healthy masculinity. The first thing that all men need is a mission. Every man needs a mission. He needs something to give him focus. Something to, give him, to, keep, his, to keep him going. Something to give, to give him drive. Something to live for. Something to die for. If a man doesn't have a mission, he doesn't have any focus. And if he doesn't have any focus, he doesn't really have much maturity and, and, and even less resilience. And so it's so key just for a man to, to just grow up and to, to, to adopt his and reclaim his masculinity to have a mission. And that's what Christ does in today's gospel. What he says is that, gentlemen, your mission is to stand watch for my return, to watch over your house 
for whenever I come again. To be aware, to be sober, to be alert, because a thief is coming. Don't be caught off guard. Be aware. And that's the mission. Our mission as Christian men is to be aware, to be watchful, and to maintain the house of the Lord, this church, with the highest amount of attentiveness. To where we can be focused and we can serve him and be ready for whenever he comes again. And the fact of the matter is, the beauty of that is whenever he does come again, this is, what, this is what's so amazing, it's not going to be to hurt us, assuming we're, we're watchful. It's going to be to serve us. The tables are going to be flipped. While right now we are servants and we're serving him in the church, what's going to happen whenever we, we face judgment and it's, and, it's, and it's a positive judgment, that table gets flipped. And our master, the Lord of heaven and earth, suddenly becomes our servant. He suddenly shows us our dignity and he's suddenly there. And that's the purpose of this mission. The mission is ultimately to allow the Lord to serve us at the end of time. But there's a second part of this, this the, that masculinity that, aside from just mission, because we all know that you know, it's not enough for just a man to have a mission, he in a sense needs a mentor. And that's the second thing that fosters healthy masculinity, and that is fatherhood. Good, healthy fatherhood. In doing research for this article, I, I read I read this this excuse me doing research for this homily. I read this article called it was a darker article a darker title. It's called "Murderous Mamas Boys." Basically, this the thesis was this idea that look even if a man has a great mother and there's a lot of great mothers out there they're they're phenomenal. They're still they're still craving a fatherly figure. And Lee usually what happens and in fact if you look at a lot of these mass murders it usually stems from an alienation of the father. And what he points out is that this is not necessarily something new. That violence so often tends to line up, if you will, with the lack of a father. A great example, you can just look at music. Johnny Cash. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. That was actually pretty good. I felt that was like, yeah, yeah, that was, I didn't expect that. I was like, usually, you know, speak like, you know, four times higher than that. But all right. So yeah, but like, but that is, but isn't that just it? I mean, here he is. He has a mom. He loved, the mom loves him. And what happens? He plays with guns and he shoots somebody. And in fact, whenever you listen to this album, Folsom Prison Blues, whenever it's live at Folsom Prison, and whenever he actually says this line, the crowd goes crazy. They go nuts. They get excited. They're like, oh, yeah, go for it. You know, shoot a man. It's terrible. It's sad. But this is what happens whenever we lack fatherhood. Another example, and I mean, just kind of stick with the country music theme, is Merle Haggard. I'm not going to sing Merle Haggard because I don't have that good of a voice. But he says, when I, and I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. No one can steer me right. But mama tried. But mama tried. Mama tried. Mama tried to steer me right. But I denied. This is, this is something that's been in our culture for a long time. And you know, it's not just in country music that we see it. In, in, in Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, it's a little, it's, it, it, you, we, we all are familiar with this song. We've all, we all broke, you know, sang to it whenever it comes on the radio. I mean, what does it say? Mama, I just killed a man. It goes into the graphic way in which he does it. Now he's dead. Mama... Life had just begun, but now I've gone and thrown it all away. 
Another thing is we look at, at hip-hop. I mean, to use an old-school rapper, Tupac. No love for my daddy because the coward wasn't there. He passed away and I didn't cry because my anger wouldn't let me feel for a stranger. They say I'm wrong, I'm heartless, but all along I was looking for a father. He was gone. I hung around with thugs and even though they sold drugs, they showed a young brother love. Fathers are essential. Fathers are absolutely essential. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think that Johnny Cash is right or, or, or Tupac or Merrill Haggard, why don't we take a, take a look at scripture? Our second reading, we have Abraham. And Abraham, if we know, had two biological sons, not one. One was legitimate. One was his, with his wife, Sarah. That's Isaac. We know all about Isaac. But there was one that he had with his maidservant, Hagar. And what does he do? He, he conceives this child, his maidservant, Hagar, with his, Hagar names him Ishmael. And Sarah becomes jealous of Hagar. And so what does she do? She banishes Hagar and her son, Ishmael, and Abraham doesn't say a word. He abandons his child. And what does the scripture say about poor Ishmael? He says that, the scripture says that he becomes a wild donkey of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone else's hand against his. He will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Guys, we need fathers. Men need fathers to guide them if they're going to truly become gentlemen. Men who are capable of greatness, men who are capable of of force, of strength, of toughness, but men who know how to be gentle, capable of restraining themselves, capable of treating people with love and dignity the respect that they deserve. And the fact of the matter is, is many of us here might not be necessarily biological fathers. But guys, that doesn't mean that you can't be fatherly. That doesn't mean you could be a role model for the young men in your life. That doesn't mean you can conduct yourselves in such a way that that boys want to be like you and want to be men. Want to be gentlemen. But let's be honest, there's one more aspect of masculinity that we need besides just a mission and a good father. And I think this, is, this aspect is far more important than either of those things. I believe that every single man needs to know, the bottom of his heart, that he is loved. That he is loved. This struck me exceptionally hard whenever I was on my be- way back from Newport. I was sitting there, I was on, on this plane, going from Chicago down to Dallas, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pray in a plane, and that's always a fun time, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, you know, you, you pray your rosary, and like, you know, all you're meditating on is like the, you know, the, 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 the blank seat in front of you, and like, you know, the guy snoring to your right, and the girl listening to loud music to your left, and you know, all the odd smells that kind of come about in planes. I don't know if you've had that experience. And so like, you know, it's like the most distracting place on the planet, right? And so like, I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to, to pray, and, uh, and I'm praying about this gospel passage, And I'm going, you know, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth the wait. You're worth living for. You're worth dying for. You're worth everything. You're worth fighting for. You are worth the wait. And I kept saying that over and over again. Lord, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the wait. You're worth the fight. You're worth the Christian faith. You're worth it all. And as I was praying this, and as I was going deeper and deeper into this, I began to realize I'm doing a lot of talking. That actually wasn't supposed to be funny, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but I was, I mean, I was doing a lot of talking and I was sitting there and I'm like, I need to shut up. And so I stop 
and it's just quiet. Heard the snoring, heard the loud music, but all of a sudden, clearly, boldly in my mind, I heard something that doesn't often happen to me in prayer. You're worth it. You're worth the wait. You're worth the fight. You're worth living for. You're worth dying for. You're worth it. And that's something I think every man needs to hear from his father. Every man, especially his heavenly father. Every man needs to know that he's loved. Every man needs to know that he's cared for. Every man needs to know more than anything else that he's worth it.